This week I was with my family just hanging out in our living room. My daughter went up to my wife and she, she just said, which is a very normal statement around our house. She said, Mommy, I'm hungry. Can I have a snack? And my wife was just so responsive. Amanda just said, hey, yeah, what do you want? What do you want today? She said, I'd love to have an apple. And Amanda thought for a second. She said, baby, we don't have any apples. Let's go look in the cupboard and I'll show you what we got. So she took her and showed her a few snacks that were options. And which one of these do you want? And Adelaide looked at her and said, I don't want any of those. I want an apple. And I, I remember watching this go down and, and Amanda seemed puzzled. And she looked back at her and said, but baby, we don't have any apples. We don't have any. And Adelaide seemed to be getting a little bit frustrated. And she looked at her mom and said, mom, could you check for me? So Amanda went and looked in the fridge and she said, oh baby, we do, we do have apples. And so I remember this moment because Adelaide looked at her and she said, mom, for someone who has such pretty eyes, you can't see very well. I thought, man, isn't that really what life is all about? Like learning to see? And I think that it's even more than that. Along the way through this journey, I've learned that life is not just about us seeing, but us asking God, God, what do you see? In 2 Samuel, the Bible says that to the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, you show integrity. You know, one of the most fundamental basic principles that we see as we begin to follow Jesus is that God, as we begin to respond to Him, begins to show us more of Himself. As we begin to live in what He's instructed us to, as we begin to experience the, the revelation and the knowledge that God wants to give us, and then we begin to walk it out, God opens up our eyes to see even more. Which is why I think one of the most important questions that we can ask God is, God, would you help me to see the world the way that you see the world? I mean, think about that. How about you? Do you know today that when you look at the world, you see it the way that God does? Because I can tell you that I don't. I don't understand people the way that He does. I don't understand myself the way that He understands me. As a matter of fact, throughout my journey, there have been times God pointed at me, called things out of me that I didn't even know existed. See, God sees things that we don't see. And because He does, because God can see past the reality that we find ourselves in right at this moment, because God can see things that we can't, it's so important to continually go back to Him and say, God, help me to see what you see. You know, I remember a time in my life when God began to open my eyes and show me something that He saw that I didn't. When I was younger, I remember growing up and 
coming to visit Stanley County. I grew up right outside of Charleston, South Carolina, and God began to really grow and develop a love for this area. And I remember a friend of my dad's as I was talking about how much I loved being here and how passionate I was about this area. His friend looked at us and said, hey, you see, he's going to move here before you do. It was true. As a matter of fact, I moved here in high school and got to spend a couple years going to South Stanley. And then as a young adult, I even came back and worked here and taught in our schools. And God really planted seeds of, of love and passion for the people here in the area that we're in. And he began to do something well before I could even see it. Because in 2009, my wife and I were praying, God, send us to a place that we would love, a place that you love, that you want to start a life-giving church, a, a, a church that could change a city. Help us to see that place. And I remember sitting in a stoplight in downtown Columbia where we were working on a project for the church that I was at. I loved the church. It was an awesome church. We loved the staff. We loved working with the people there. We loved where we lived. It was a great situation. But I remember sitting at that stoplight and I thought, God, I can't wait till this weekend where I can share what we're working on. And I thought, you know, I've got some friends in Stanley County that are still there, and I can't wait to share this with them. And then this hit me. What if we could do what we're working on so hard to do here? What if we could do that in Stanley County? What if we could take a life-giving modern church and put it right in the middle of Albemarle? And really, I'd never thought about that before. I'd never seen that. But God opened my eyes and let me see what He sees. And in that moment, I just began to cry and weep as I began to kind of connect all of the things that God had been working on so hard in my heart and in my life. And we began to immediately make plans in 2010, not too long after that moment, we made a decision. We committed, God, we're going to do this. In late 2011, I told my church, hey, God's called me to go back home. I'm going to go back to Albemarle. We're going to plant a church. And I went off staff, which meant that I lost all sources of income for me. And it was exceptionally scary. It was very risky. As a matter of fact, my family went slap broke to do this. But God was showing me something that He could see, that I was starting to see. So we moved back in 2012, and it wasn't too long that people around us started to see what God saw. And we had a team that assembled, a, a group of about 50 people. So in September of 2012, we launched our church. And on that day, we had over 230 people. Now, most of them were friends and family, because it wasn't too long that the numbers started to dwindle down. As a matter of fact, that happened for us over about six months. That's normal. That happens for most churches that start the way that we did. So in February of 2013, we hit our low point. It was a Sunday where we only had 91 in attendance. 91. But from that Sunday, we never looked back because God saw something that He wanted to do in Stanley County and He chose Vortex to do it through. This past June, the month that we just closed out, our church averaged 380 people in attendance. That's a summer month. A summer month, we averaged 380 in attendance. That's a remarkable thing in a, in a town that's barely 16,000 people. As a matter of fact, from our low point, that represents over 400% of growth in just about three years. 
And there's a number that I think moves me even more. It's that since we started, 524 people have made a commitment to Jesus at our church. 524. Think about that number and put it in context of only 16,000 people in this city. 524 people have made a decision to give their lives to Jesus. What a remarkable thing God is doing. I don't know about you, but in this moment right here, all I want to do is just stop and say thank you. God, you've been so good to us. You've been so faithful. Thank you for using us. Thank you for choosing us. But God, we don't want to just say thank you. What we want to say is continue to open our eyes and let us see what you see. So I think one of the questions that as we move forward after celebrating what God has done in our church over the past three and a half years, one of the questions that we need to continually ask is, God, God, what do you see in the church? So today, as we kind of take our next step forward, I, I want to point a, a few things out that I think the Bible makes clear that God sees in this world and what God sees in the church. The first thing, we find this kind of tucked away in 2 Peter, where the Bible says that he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. You may have learned this verse the way that I did, that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all of us to have experience repentance and then have everlasting life. For me, I think one of the things that we've got to see is that God loves everyone. God loves all people, and he wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone on the planet to have a relationship with himself. That's his will. That's what his desire is. So let me just answer a question that many of you have. Sometimes we have that question lingering, and we have that, that friend who, who doesn't know Jesus, and we, we love them. We want them to experience the power of life that we found in God. And we keep saying, you know, I just don't know if God, God wants them. God wants a relationship with them. You don't have to worry about answering that question. God has already answered that one for you. He wants a relationship with them. The question is, how? How is he going to build a relationship with them. What is the tool that he's going to use? And we see that in Ephesians 3. In Ephesians 3, verses 10 through 11, and I'm going to read this for you. The Bible says that God's purpose in all of this, all that he's been doing, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God's plan from the very beginning has been to use the church to put on display Jesus. That's exactly what God wants to do. So the greatest source of hope that we have in this entire world is the local church. 
It's interesting. I mean, we live in a, in a year, in a time, in an era right now, as it's election season, where there are so many institutions that want to promise you hope. There are politicians that want to promise you that hope can be found in them. But that's not where we find hope. Hope really is found in the local church. It's found in the message of the gospel that God entrusted to the local church. And if we think about those two realities, that God wants everyone to experience a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Himself. He wants everyone to be saved. And that God's plan for hope and, and restoration and redemption, God's plan for that on the planet, is found in the local church. We need to realize this, that for more people to be saved, the church needs to grow. For more people to be... And that's one of those things, and I think we put those two ideas together. We all get that. But it's interesting that we push back against that. You may say, I've never pushed back again. I want my friends to come to know Jesus. But there are churches in our area who would say this, I don't want a bigger church. You ever heard anybody say that? I don't want a bigger church. I don't understand what people say when they say that. Do they literally mean, like, I don't want more people to meet Jesus? Because that's what they're saying. Like, bigger church isn't about bigger numbers. Bigger church is saying that there are more than 524 people in our county that need to know Jesus. There are families that are hurting in our community. And as long as there are people that don't know Jesus, people that are hurting right down the street from us, our church is not big enough yet. Because God chose to use the church to spread a, a plan of redemption. God, It's God's will to use the church to do that. So if that's going to happen, the church has to grow. And anything that grows becomes uncomfortable. I've even heard some of you express, you know, as our church has grown over the past few years, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm disconnected with some people. And there are so many people at our church that I don't know. Well, that's what happens as a church grows. That's a part of the reason that people push back against growth. Because even though they'll say, hey, we want a bigger church. We want to reach people. We want to see people experience this life-giving, redemptive power of the gospel. Part of the reason that they push back against it is because they don't want things to change. But the church must grow. As a matter of fact, I think that if a church is not growing much like us, it's dying. If we stop innovating, we stop pushing the bound, we stop saying, God, Help us to see what you see. If we stop that, in that moment, we start dying. So, as we've been praying and saying, God, help us to understand how you want to grow your church. One of the things that we've told you all along is that we want to be one church with one vision in many locations. One church one vision, and many locations. You, if you think about it, as you begin to add more people, add more people, add more people, there's only two options, aren't there? It's that the, the church itself gets bigger. We, you get a, a bigger container to put the more people in. 
or you get different containers so that you can keep the size small. And we want to keep the size small so that you can relate and connect to the people that you go to church with. So that means that we're going to eventually be one church in multiple locations. What a powerful thing to know that there could be someone worshiping across the state to the exact same message that you're listening to, growing under the same leadership that you're growing under, and they're a part of the same spiritual family, even though you don't get to see them every day, every week, even though you may never serve with them or hold their kids in nursery. But we all live under that same passion and vision to see those people that are lost and hurting come to know Jesus. So we know that at some point we're going to have to be in multiple locations. And our church has a passion to start those locations in central North Carolina, where there are very few churches that are innovating and pushing the boundaries and wanting to reach lost people. It's in those locations that we want to go, that we want to start something that is powerful and meaningful. And we believe God's called us to do that. And He's starting to open the doors to do that. But there's a second component to that. Is that we have to be one church, one vision, but many different leaders. See, I think that some of you have the experience that I have. You've been in churches where there was a very charismatic and good pastor. And he did a lot. Maybe you grew up in a church like I did. A little small church where for children's ministry, there, there was no kids service the the kids went forward and the pastor taught them a little lesson see in a church like that where the pastor does everything there's a big ceiling to them they can only grow so far because his leadership is stretched see for us to grow we're, we're, we're not going to be able to be one pastor one person we're going to have to be many gifted leaders this is why I think the decision that, that Carrie and, and Sarah Weaver made to move from Arkansas and to come here, God leading them and calling them is so significant for our church. It's, it's a, a very high capacity leader making a decision to say, I see the vision, I see what God's doing, and I want to get involved with this. See, it's going to take more of that for us to have campuses all across North Carolina. And I think that we're just starting to see what God sees. When God sees one church, one church that's passionate about the gospel, a church that's passionate about people, a church that, that loves really well, that God sees a, a church that cares so much about lost people that it's not willing to just build one big massive testimony to itself that it wants to go into communities where nobody has ever went before and god sees a church that's going to leverage itself risk itself who's going to put itself on the line so that these communities can experience life through a life-giving local church that's exactly what we announced at Easter that we're going to do right here at Palmerville. And this used to be Palmerville Baptist Church. It was a church that existed for well over a hundred years. 
but it shut its doors in 2005. We now own this property. And we're looking at upfitting it and turning it into a campus. So I just want to give you an, uh, kind of an update today. One of the things that we've hit, we've hit a small minor snag. And that's that our local kind of government is, is restricting us as far as our construction until there are a couple environmental issues that are worked out. We're well into the process of taking care of that. But I just want you to know that we, we love our community. We're not going to push back and talk negatively about what they want. What they want is good for us. They want to make sure that our situation is healthy and it's something that we can sustain ourselves through as we begin to build and sink a lot of effort, a lot of resources into turning this into a campus. And so we're not in a construction phase right now simply because they've asked us to take care of a few things up front. So that's why we haven't had massive work days where we come out and we start building things yet. But those days are coming. I just want you to know that. Those days are coming. And we're still planning that by the beginning of, of 2017 that we're going to be close to having this place open. Because we believe that God can take what was dead and bring it back to life. As a matter of fact, that's what we believe that we're going to see God do in towns like Troy and Mount Gilead and Bisco. Maybe even into Anson County, into Wadesboro. And all throughout Central North Carolina. That God builds a church that's one church, one vision, multiple locations. That God sees a church who's willing to risk, who's willing to go, who's willing to be life and light in an area that desperately needs it. So as we get ready to wrap up this message today, what I want to do is I want to invite my friend Carrie to come up and share his perspective of what it means to be a part of, of a, a local church that has bought in to investing itself in the community. What does it mean to jump on board to a vision like this? So y'all welcome with me, Carrie Weaver. Well, Kevin asked me to share a little bit. Uh, part of what I want to do is just give you a really, really quick snapshot of my story of how Sarah and our family ended up here. Um, I know that for me, 22 years ago this summer, I felt like God called me into ministry. I was 15 years old, and um, I felt confident I was going to be a youth pastor. And so I became a youth pastor and was for 10 years. Following that, um, I've had the opportunity to pastor three churches, two of which I started, planted, um, uh, the most recent one we, we launched in Jonesboro, Arkansas on the same day that Vortex Church started. In the process of preparing for that, I met Kevin, and uh, we, God kind of knitted a friendship together there uh, through that time of us planting churches at the same time. But last April, uh, Kevin flew me out. We went to a conference, and I spent a day here in town and in the county with him, and he took me up on Moore Mountain. We shot that first video up there. Um, and he kind of said, okay, now over this way, you can kind of see, you know, this lake and this county, and over here you can see this and this county, and in that moment, God opened my eyes to see what Kevin saw a little bit, and I asked him this question. I said, so how many, how many churches do you want to plant? And he told me later, actually just about a month ago, he said, you're actually the first person that had ever asked me that question. And God opened my eyes to it, and we quickly felt like God wanted us to hand off the church we had planted 
to my associate pastor and move here and be a part of what God was doing through Vortex in this town and this county and beyond. We, we, we really, we don't even know what God has out at the furthest reaches of it. Um, but there's a few things, and what I'm going to share with you now, it's not in your notes, but if you want to write it down, you're welcome to. Throughout my life of following God, there have been three things that have been requirements if I'm going to step into whatever vision God has given me, whatever he has opened my eyes to, because really that's what vision is. It's just God letting you see what he sees in that scenario, in that situation. And so I, I just, as I was thinking through this, I thought, man, there's three things that you've got to do if you're going to step into the vision. And I want to share this with you because we believe that God wants you to step into it. Some of you have. Like God opened your eyes, you've seen it, you've been on board with what God's doing here through Vortex maybe for a long time. Others of you, you're kind of on the outside, you're starting to get it. But we believe that there's many of you, God wants you to really step in, to take ownership, to, to say, God, show me what you see and then show me what my part is in that. The first thing that you've got to do if you're going to step into the vision is you've got to submit to God's authority. You've got to submit to God's authority. You've got to acknowledge that he's the one who knows all things. He's the one who sees all things. He is infinitely smarter than you'll ever be. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. And choosing to follow Jesus means not just saying, yes, Jesus, I want you to save me from having to go to hell. It means that I'm choosing to follow him and, and let him be the authority over my life in every aspect. In Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, it says this, Now God has revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. I'm going to tell you this. When you choose now to submit to God's authority in your life, all you're doing is getting on board with where everything is going to end up. There is going to come a time where God is going to bring perfect unity to this world. He's going to make all things new, all things right, and everything will be under the authority of Jesus. I'm just choosing to get on that train now. I want to be a part of what God is doing now. So for me, I became a follower of Jesus at 10. At 15, I felt him call me into the ministry. I surrendered. didn't even really know what I was getting into. At 18, he opened my eyes again. I said, okay, yes, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And along the way, he has redirected my path. I thought I'd be a youth pastor my whole life. I was one for about 10 years. It was great. And then God opened my eyes to see something different. He wanted me to be a part of planting churches. And I stepped into it. I surrendered to his authority because I have a choice in big ways, like I'm going to move my family from Arkansas where I was born and raised to North Carolina and plant here. That's a big decision. But I've also got small ones. You've got small ones every day where you choose to place yourself under and accept and submit to the authority of God in your life. And if you keep reading in Ephesians 1, verse 22 and 23 says this, God has put all things under the authority of Christ. He has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. I'm going to tell you this. You've got to submit to God's authority. And submitting to God's authority means that you're going to be a part, an active part of the body, which is the church. It's not enough to just say, that's the church I go to. Yeah, I go there. You've got to be that. You've got to become a part of it. You've got to submit to God's authority. But then there's another thing. And this is one that I'll be honest with you, it's, it's difficult for me. You may identify with this. You've got to submit to God's leadership. 
And I don't mean God's direct leadership. I mean God's indirect leadership in those men and women that he puts in your life as authorities over you. You've got to do that. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 13, 11 through 13, it says this. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Until Jesus comes back, and everything is perfectly united under his direct leadership, he has put leaders in our life. And we've got to submit to that leadership. I'm going to tell you this. If you can't submit to the authority that God has placed in your life, you're never going to fully submit to him because you're going to be holding out. No, no, I'm not going to listen to anybody. I'm just going to listen to God himself. If God doesn't tell me, I'm going to tell you this. God has put authority in our life. He has. For me, that earliest authority was my father. He was my father, but he was actually also my pastor. I grew up in a pastor's home. The first church I ever worked for as a youth pastor was for my dad as the pastor. He was that authority in my life. I've had different moments where I've had to submit to God's leadership. You've got to submit to that authority that God's put in your life, that God-given, because he puts leaders in our lives. And if we're unwilling to submit to their leadership, then we're never going to fully submit to God. And he uses them to, to first appoint us to Jesus for me, I remember that, that first authority figure. I remember my dad pointing me to Jesus. I remember that moment where I felt like I've got, I've got to give my life completely to him. I went to my dad, and he said, Carrie, this is, this is what God's word said. He explained the gospel to me again, and we, we bowed down, and we prayed right there in that moment. He used them to point us to Jesus and then to inspire us to use our gifts for the kingdom of God. He's put these men, these women in our life. We've got to submit to that leadership. So for me, that meant about a year ago, I was the lead pastor of a church that I was going to leave that and submit myself to the authority of Kevin Simmons as my pastor. It's been a great joy to do that. As God has taught me more just in the last six months than probably in many ways the last six years of putting myself under it. You know what I love is that Kevin puts himself, he submits to other authority in his life. We've got overseers who love him, pray for him, that he seeks counsel from. These are men who are investing in him. We all have authority over us. We've got to submit to that leadership. And then the last thing is you've got to submit to God's vision. You've got to submit to his vision. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you're his dear children. Live a life filled with love, Following the example of Christ, he loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. You've got to submit to God's vision. And when you submit to the vision that God has, it's always going to look like sacrifice. It's always going to require a sacrifice from you. You're going to have to give something up. You're going to have to give something over to him. That's what Jesus did. He was the perfect example of love, and that love looked like sacrifice. He was the perfect example of submission because even himself, he put himself under the, the Father, and he said, Father, if there's any other way than having to go to the cross, let's do that. But nevertheless, not my will but yours. He submitted to the vision that God had because God saw a lost and dying and hurting world, and he knew that Jesus was the only answer, and he submitted to it. 
So if I'm submitting to God's authority and I'm submitting to his leadership, the men that he's put in my life, the pastors, the, the teachers, if I'm doing that, then I'm going to submit to his vision and what God has. I'm going to tell you this. If you're here, you call Vortex Home, you're submitting to the vision that God has for what we're trying to do, of the people that we're trying to reach in the way that God is going to lead us to do it. And this means that we're going to leverage whatever God's given us for his kingdom and for his glory. Our time, we're going to serve. Our talent, we're going to use the, wherever you excel, you're going to use that for God. Your treasure, the money that you have, you're going to give it because you're going to realize that God hasn't given you what you have. He didn't make you who you are, and he didn't give you what you have completely for your own benefit. He always has a higher purpose for it. He wants to accomplish something through it. If we'll submit to it. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days and don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. God wants you to submit to his vision. God wants you to get into it, to step into it. We believe that our best days are ahead, and that's not just like a cliche thing that we throw out because we know that God has a bigger and higher purpose. We know that God's not through with us yet. We know that God wants, and so for me, it's a privilege to be able to step in and say, yes, God, because here's how that happened for me. I sent Kevin a text one day. I was in Arkansas. I said, hey, man, how you doing? And he wrote back, I'm good. And then he said, I'd be a little bit better if you'd move here and help me start some more churches. And I thought, I was already thinking that. Thanks for inviting me. And I stepped into it. Now, for a lot of you, God's not going to ask you to pack up your family and move six or seven states away. But he's going to ask you to sacrifice all you've got. To not cling to this life and the things of this life, but to say, God, I've, whatever I've got, use it. I want to reach my neighbors. I want to reach people in, in other cities and counties that I'm not, it's not just that I'm never, that I'm not going to see them every week. I may never even know them in this life. But God, you're going to use us to reach them. You're going to do something there. And you can step into that.